Boom. What's up, everybody? Um, listening to another episode of Modern Guilt. This is Hayden. I'm talking with Damon. Um, it's a beautiful morning. I've been up since like 3.30 a.m. because I've been doing some shit. What time did you get up today, Damon? Uh, like 9, which is an improvement. I've been getting up at like 12 most days. So. Yeah, that is an improvement. Don't get up at 12. <laughs> you you know you know that you deserve better than that. Yeah, yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Like, how's your first coffee of the day going to be good if you have it in the PM? I don't know, man. It's it did get a little bit ruthless there for a little bit. Like staying up till four, four thirty, five in the morning, and then you get up at twelve, and then you have yeah. your first coffee, and then you're like starting your day at around like sundown because the sun goes down here around four thirty. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Basically, Antarctica. Um, no, it's not. That's a fucking stupid exaggeration. But, um, yeah, anyway, um, what were we just talking about? How overrated Melbourne is, right? Yeah. Yeah. Is it only a five-hour flight to Antarctica from New Zealand? From Christchurch, yeah. Oh, wow, that's really fucking close. Yeah, no, it's, it's not even that far. It's, that's it's great. A little, little bizarre. Mm. Um... I met a dude recently who uh, worked like a season in Antarctica as a communication specialist doing like uh, radio and satellite, I think, um, working in like the Australian base there. Oh, that's it's pretty, sick. Yeah, pretty interesting. I have so um, much respect for people that do that, you know. Yeah, it's super competitive to get a spot there, apparently. Um, I think he applied four times before he got accepted. Oh, yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, sounds pretty incredible. Like yeah. you can just um, fucking borrow some skis and just go like solo cruising in Antarctica. You can just like <laughs> ski like ten kilometers from the base and like just be in the wilderness alone with like penguins. Well, it's always been a dream of mine to go there, eh? just to, like get into the deepest, darkest, most Lovecraftian. Um, environment I possibly can. You yeah, know? yeah. Because just something otherworldly. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed Southeast Asia in that sense. Going <laughs> to like super remote parts of like Cambodia and Vietnam, um, mm. where like nothing around you looks familiar, and you know, like you're just so far removed from like the reach of Western culture that you're just like, wow, this is fucking amazing. Like, you might yeah. as well be on another planet. I um, love that as well. I, I was living in Jakarta for yeah, yeah. like three months. Um, and it was like, honestly, just there's no frame of reference there that when I first landed, it was like, like being on one of those little Star Wars. Uh, I don't know if you've seen Star Wars, but you know, like the Star Wars village. Have you seen Star Wars? Uh, I guess, yeah. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, I think you go I have and it's them. just like an alien village, and there's people like boosting around on like hacked together mopeds. And yeah, yeah. Just weird smells and like, you know, yeah. people living in shacks by the side of massive skyscrapers. Yeah, just a totally different way of doing shit. Hey. Yeah, like, fuck yeah. Fucking amazing. I love it so much. Um, I feel like everything is just so exciting when you go there. You know, yeah. Um, there's like 
particularly if you go to like you know the big cities like i haven't been to jakarta but obviously i've been to a lot of big asian cities um mm. i love just like the overload of like stimuli and just how much of everything there is like how yeah. many smells and sounds and fucking faces and yeah it's so dope um i can't wait to go back yeah um i'm gonna fast forward i just had a thought my like thing that i hate for this episode is when people uh ask if you've been to a certain country but instead of saying like have you been to jakarta they say have you done jakarta do people say that? Oh, right. There's like yeah. wanderlust losers. Yeah. Like, oh, last year I did India. It was the best. I'm like, yeah, yeah. did you do the Taj Mahal? <laughs> oh, no, I just, I just did like the South. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. No. Yeah. That's pretty piss poor. Any, anyone who says that is kind of, you know, one of those idiots going around collecting countries in a little <laughs> tote bag uh, with a yeah. fucking acoustic guitar to go sing. Yeah. Oh, and play electro swing in the hostels. Oh, I can't stand that shit. It's yeah, so man. I, I despise guitars while traveling. Um, yeah. <laughs> in fact, I'm pretty comfortable spending the rest of my life never talking to another person who travels with an instrument unless they're touring. Yeah, fucking A, man. Like, I think if I ever see one of those people again, I'll just, like, won't even say hello or like respond to what they say. Yeah, um, I've never had a positive experience with one of them. Oh, <laughs> well, I mean, it's just so bleak. You know, it's just so disgusting and 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 wrong on so many levels to go play Wonderwall badly in a guitar in a in a completely yeah other country. Anyway, fuck those people. I'm with you on that. <laughs> What what else do you think is like a reprehensible um, backpacker behavior? Um, virtually everything, man. Like honestly, <laughs> backpackers are like the worst people to travel with or be around. I I just hate coming across those like little groups of um, predominantly European people who who sort of like bundle together and like complain about the price of things or. Or whatever, you know, some equally like obnoxious thing, like oh, it's so polluted. It's not this polluted in Germany, and <laughs> and it's like, what? Just fuck off! What are you doing here? And then go like be a disgusting tourist and and like get totally wasted and abuse the locals. Yeah, you know? yeah. Or like um, bragging on how little you spent in a country is one of those things that is just the most frustrating things, man. It's like. Like, you come over here, you grift your... They're the grifter of the week, eh? you know? <laughs> yeah, okay, let's do backpackers <laughs> as a joined grifter of the week. Yeah. Um, yeah, there is a lot of grifting done by that. We have a big problem here with them shitting in the sand dunes um, and shitting all over the, the public parks and everything to the point that there's now a, like, national monitoring program being set up to, uh, ex- like, try and document how much shit is happening literally on like public walks and what? within our sand dunes and we've had to ban them bro like we've had to ban people from fucking free camping all around like um you know all around new zealand yeah not, not even in, in one place but like yeah so it's let's get to down. the bottom of this though why are people shitting so much in national parks 
What's the motivation? Well, I mean, you're on a national walk, right? Like these things are like several days long, and there's yeah. uh, long. They've basically gotten so popular now that there's these long queues to get to the toilet. And so instead of waiting, and the toilet's kind of nasty as well. So instead of waiting, yeah, they run right. off and like shit in the uh, on the side of the track. But the numbers are so high that it's you know causing an issue. And I've heard reports like uh, yeah legitimate like ecological damage. Yeah, well, reports of like illness, like foodborne illness, springing up because there's so many people shitting everywhere, you know. And then someone drinks water from the creek, and it's got like a thousand shits from Europe floating through it. Yeah, um, yeah. Which is bound to carry some sort of, like, gastro illness. Fuck oh, um, nice. Yeah, man, it's pretty fucking disgusting, eh? So, yeah. Huh. Yeah, that's that's really rough. Because, like, yeah. I quite actually... I actually have grown to enjoyable shit. Um, yeah. So, oh, like, yeah, like... It took yeah. me a, a few goes to like get the hang of it and become comfortable with it, but I find it quite liberating. Um, so, like, if I was in that situation, I would much rather do a bush shit than the long drop as well. Yeah, because um, they're pretty gross. Those long drops. Oh, yeah. I've dude, I've never brought myself to use a long drop once in my life. Really? I've like I've attempted to, and I've like gone in to the thing and closed the door, and then I'm just like, no, this is putrid. Like I. <laughs> I'd rather yeah. literally anywhere else. I would prefer, but maybe especially yeah, when you have the know. flies like bumping into you when you're in there, and yeah, it's just like, like the putrid smell of chemical and yeah, um, not just bumping been... into you, but like bumping into you after having landed on people's shit as well. <laughs> mm. Have you have you ever been to like a rave, and you have like five toilets between a thousand stoned hippies? Oh yeah, but I would yeah. never use one. <laughs> That's the thing. Like, I like went to fucking Splendor in the Grass here, and like felt like I really needed to take a shit. And I'm just like, no, I just can't do it. I won't allow my body to do this. You respect yourself too much to use. Yeah, Yeah. like I I I went into the thing, and it was so full that there was a mound of shit that was protruding above the level of the toilet seat, Mm. and people so like. Someone had gone in there and seen that there was, like, shit um, level with the rim of the toilet seat, and they're like, this is chill. I'm going to take another shit on top of this pile so that it's actually higher than where people sit to use the toilet. Like, what kind of savagery is that? (laughs) So when I consider that, I understand the preponderance of, poo in national parks i guess it's a shame that you can't drink from the creek but maybe that's just the world we need to live in i don't know yeah i don't i don't know man like there, there has to be control of numbers i feel like population control on this because it's just so disgusting you know i'd rather like like mm. i mean going slightly off the track is kind of one of the pleasures of bushwalks yeah as well you know to find like little gems and i don't want those little gems to be like you know soiled and in like uh, landmines, haggis of uh, the secondhand haggis of like a of a tourist. It's just gross. It's nasty. Oh, mm, absolutely. Um, man, that's a legitimately challenging situation. Though I can't think of what the right solution is for that. Um, yeah. Apart they're... from yeah, controlling numbers, but that just 
I mean, you, you don't want to have to limit who goes on into a national park. That's horrible, you know? Yeah, it's unfortunate, man. But, I mean, it's like, what's what's the alternative, you know? Mm, yeah, I, mean, I agree. What would Bali look like if we limited the number of, um, you know, Aussies going in every single year now? Probably really what, nice. <laughs> yeah, it's just like a, everyone's holding hands and getting along. But I, I just, I wonder what these like tourist traps that have sort of like decayed and fallen to, you know, ruthless exploitation would look like if there was more of a focus on like traditional, um, not traditionalism, but you know, like just more of a focus on like upkeep and yeah, just and like sustainability, sustainability practices. Totally. Mm. Yeah. Um, have you been to Bali? Yeah, man. Yeah, I spent. Uh, I spent. A, I had a pretty amazing two weeks there. Um, oh, cool! It's where I met my first girlfriend. We didn't. Meet oh, there, right. But we like got together there. Yeah. So my memories of it are pretty, pretty fantastic. Yeah. Um, I plus, bet. I'd just come from Jakarta, right? So I'd come from like the most putrid, yeah, disgusting. Twenty-eight million. I remember, man. Right before I left to Jakarta, I hadn't really done any research because I was an ignorant nineteen-year-old or whatever. Mm. And I was actually, I saw you. Um, and I think I had either Googled it after seeing you or before seeing you and discovered <laughs> that there's 28 million people who lived there. Yeah. And I thought Indonesia was just like a bunch of little rural, like shacks and shit spotted with good surf all around it. So I was yeah, like, oh, right. sick. I'm just going to go like live in a shack in this place called Jakarta. Oh, dude. I hate myself so much. And then I, then I Googled it. I was like, oh, how could 28 million people live there? And you decked me out with this like dope playlist or something that i just like played all the time when i was over there oh i'm uh, glad i did that yeah no it was fucking sick but yeah anyway i was that was like one of the most challenging experiences i've had at that time at least anyway yeah um, yeah and so coming from like you know the city of virtually as close to a narco capitalist as i think you can possibly get that i've experienced um, to Bali, which was like a paradise after that of, of you know, drunken Aussies. So it was all good. <laughs> Honestly, uh, man, like yeah. I was How getting many... ripped off every day in Jakarta, and I, I was like, I lost ten kgs while I lived there. Oh you know, yeah, that'll really sick. Yeah. How many Australians, like as a percentage of the population, do you reckon would legitimately want to go to Bali as like their afterlife? So you die and then you just go to Bali forever and you're just in Kuta. Oh man, like large swaths of the country. Yeah, like definitely. Yeah. I mean, like and 10%? Yeah, it's the Australian Valhalla. Like, I think, um, yeah, probably a good 10%. And, and it is paradise for some men. Like, it's the perfect mix of lawlessness and like conservative australian values all in one spot <laughs> yeah you know i wonder if the tattooists in bali have become really good at doing southern crosses oh yeah they're legends they, they hey? yeah they all speak like you know australian jargon when that's you're fucking own. unreal have you been there no i've never been to bali i don't oh, think bro. i want to go either it's like it's pretty fucking astonishing i bet um, yeah. if you want to see what some weird new colonialist uh like culture looks like where you have 
this beautiful old traditional like culture based on i think their main religion is hinduism i'm not sure about uh, that, i think they're buddhist is it buddhist okay yeah buddhist um you see these like this beautiful old buddhist religion and all these wonderful temples everywhere um interspersed with people like doing vomiting in the street yeah yeah and all these like local balinese dudes just giving really like uh rough you know colloquial australian sayings like oh yeah get wasted mister (laughs) you want to go get fucked up (laughs) and it's just like (laughs) oh man what have you done (laughs) um yeah i went to phuket like which i feel is you know probably pretty similar um and that was yeah putrid enough for me so i don't think i want to ever go to like another uh island house party or yeah. whatever the fuck you want to call yeah. it um no that time's done yeah uh there's definitely a place in your life for that but it sort of erodes the older you get you know mm. and the attraction of being around like i i think they elite they you could get like magic mushroom milkshakes when i was there and yeah, buy every shots from from all the bars but you know being around that environment is kind of less attractive and the weird thing is, man, there's all these, like, Australian families walking around during the day, and then at night, like, like you know, dad just cuts loose with 20 fucking yeah. 25-year-old. I'm going to go uh, get a massage, love. I'll see you in three hours. Yeah. Comes back tripping balls. <laughs> yeah. Fuck, the boys are real down on some vodka, Red Bull, mushroom, Viagra shakes. Yeah. Let's hit this. I know a few people who, like, do, like, boys' trips to Bali or whatever. Well, like, I mean, don't even know them. I've just, like, come across people who have done that, you know? And it's just like, oh, yeah, like, you just leave your girlfriend or, like, family and just go with the boys and I don't just be fucking gross for a week. Like, that sounds good. <laughs> like, yeah, and I'm sure none of you got a hand job either while you were there. Um, it's the Australian Las Vegas eh? Yeah. Oh, even worse, I reckon. <laughs> oh, it's way worse. Yeah. Like, at least Vegas doesn't, like, <laughs> exploit, like, a vulnerable, impoverished population. Yeah. And, like, Vegas is, isn't a colony <laughs> either. You know, <laughs> Bali, like you said, it's just neocolonialism, like, times a thousand. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, speaking of putrid living conditions, I might dive into my um, show and tell for the week cool man yeah, um, yeah so i'll start with a little bit of background i uh, you're probably pretty well aware of a lot of it um and also i i haven't um, prepared any notes because i'm kind of just like still uh sort of presently living or thinking this through so this is kind of a part of my process of the last couple of days but anyway um so as you know like australia has a history of successive governments uh, trying to, quote, stop the boats, um, to stop illegal immigration into Australia, uh, which it mostly consists of asylum seekers from the Middle East and, and Asia, um, you know, most of whom come here um, on boats uh, captained by people smugglers from Southeast Asia. Um, they travel here through really dangerous conditions. Uh, in the hopes of getting asylum. And, you know, examples of some of the things those people might be fleeing from could be, like, persecution from their own government for free speech in Iran, um, 
having your own government drop barrel bombs on your neighborhood from helicopters in Syria. (laughs) Um, You know, having your life torn apart by the uh, Australian and American invasion of Iraq, um, to name a few. Genocide in Myanmar, where the Rohingya people are being driven out of villages and slaughtered. Yeah, Um, they're coming from very legitimate issues. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, no shortage of um, things to want asylum from. Um, So obviously under, like, the United Nations Human Rights Framework, uh, there's a 100% legal right for those people to flee and claim asylum as well, and countries are legally bound to take asylum seekers. Um, Whether or not you choose to permanently resettle them into your community and give them residency is up to the countries themselves. But you do at least have to um, house them while they um, yeah, are seeking asylum. So um, because the Australian population are brainwashed by the Murdoch media and don't understand why someone might want genuine asylum, uh, they think that all of these immigrants are just economic opportunists or they're trying to uh, get one up on us or exploit Australia and they think that mm. Australia are a bunch of suckers, you know, and they can come here and get on the fucking benefit, mate, and just, oh, yeah, they get a house, they get a fucking benefit, or they can get some yeah. clothes, feed their kids, kids go to school for free, get free health care, they're fucking laughing, mate, and they've fucking made a joke of us. Um that's which is obviously a fucking weird sentiment. Yeah, Sorry, obviously a fucking load of shit. But yeah. anyway, so like um, for a really long time now, Australian asylum seekers have been held in offshore detention centres uh, in Nauru and Manus Island. Um, and I believe recently uh, legislation was changed so that um, women and children were allowed to resettle on the mainland, uh, whereas men would be kept in the island facilities. Um, Fuck, man. Is this the Titanic? What the fuck is this shit? Exactly. Um, So bearing in mind that, like, you know, most of these people, well, not most of them, but a lot of them come in families. So they're, you know, like Mm. family units so who are separated. And I think the combined logic for that decision is that Traditionally, I suppose, women and children are more vulnerable and also the men are viewed to be more of a security risk. Um, So they need to be held under closer watch. Um, So indefinite detention is, uh, under the United Nations definition, a form of torture, and I agree with that. Um, And the government has doled out contracts to managing these facilities to private security firms. Um, because, yeah. <laughs> exactly because it's fucking cheaper apparently than having um, our own uh, you know Department of Immigration or Homeland Affairs deal with it um, and it's obviously not a police or army issue um, so like there's a pretty well documented record of human rights abuses happening in these camps where um, detainees have been uh, driven to the point of self-harm because they're so mentally ill. Um, a lot of them have uh, lived in squalor for a really long time. Um, there was a period where they were denied freedom of movement, uh, but they're now allowed to um, move around the island. But often when they do, they're persecuted by the local people. Um, but that's a separate issue altogether. Um, so 
more recently, a law was passed called Medivac, which uh, means medical evacuation, um, meaning that people who need critical health care should be able to be transferred from the island facilities to the Australian mainland to get the help that they need. Um, so I don't know the total number of people who have been transferred from the camps to Australia under those conditions, but there are currently in Brisbane 120 men who were transferred to Australia um, under the Medivac law and who are now being housed in this hotel, which is like a five-minute bike, a bicycle ride from my house or, you know, oh, like a, a three-minute sure. drive. Um, and it's in an area called Kangaroo Point, which is an inner-city suburb, and this hotel is on a main road. It's called literally Main Road on Kangaroo Point. Um, <laughs> yeah. So this place is really visible, um, and these 120 men have been uh, kept in this hotel, and particularly due to COVID, they have, you know, essentially prison conditions to seek mm. asylum. Um, and photos have emerged from inside these rooms where there are insect infestations. Um, yeah. It's, it's yeah. fucking horrible, dude. And bearing in mind that a lot of these men came here because they needed medical treatment and a lot of them um, have, you know, severe depression, anxiety, um, and some of them are not even allowed out onto the balcony of their hotel room. Um, to make matters worse, again, the facility is being managed by a private security firm called Serco. Um, yeah. And someone told me today... And oh, Serco runs Mount Eden Prison. There you go. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I'm like, um, positive on that, up and off. Yeah, like, like our that's biggest... really interesting. Yeah, yeah. I'll, um, I'll read about that. I should check that out, but just to double fact check that, mm. but I'm fairly positive that it's, yeah, Serico. No, we both, we both should check it out. Um, so someone told me today that they had heard that it's costing the Australian taxpayer $80,000 a day to keep these men detained in this hotel. Um, and there are 120 yeah. men in there, and their rule is they need a guard for every three men. So... Um, Sorry, man. No, 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 <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, fine, yeah. that's fine. Um, so they've got 40 staff in there permanently, 24 hours a day. Um, so, you know, the estimate that it's costing $80,000 a day to um, guard that facility, to me, seems pretty realistic. Um, I'll pull out my calculator and figure out what that is per year right now. Um, yep, that's pretty, times seven. pretty insane. So that's $560,000 a week times 52. $29 million a year to yeah. um, essentially inflict torture upon asylum seekers um, and deny them fundamental human rights. Um, Wouldn't that be like close to the number that you would imagine to house? Like how many people are actually in these asylums? So in this, in this hotel, uh, there's 120 people. And that was the figure that I just calculated. So $29 million or over $29 million. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you could obviously house and educate these people for less than that. And then most of them would be able to go into the community and get a job straight away. So they'd start paying tax. None of them yeah. want a free ride. <laughs> and like, it's important to note as well that Australia is the only country in the world um, that indefinitely detains asylum seekers. Um, really? Yeah. Like, oh, wow. 
even in like Europe where they have the refugee crisis yeah. and they have all the camps set up, those, those people still have freedom of movement. Yeah, yeah. You know, they can fucking leave if they want to. No one's stopping them. They can yeah. walk out the camp in whatever. Like, you can walk into town and talk to someone or whatever, you know. You just yeah. can't legally work or really sort of participate in society, but you can still go out and exercise and whatever else you want to do, you know. Um, and if you have money, you're free to go and spend it. Um, yeah. So anyway, because of like a combination of obviously the level of the atrocity and the visibility because of the side of this hotel, this has become like a real flashpoint in Brisbane. Um, and prior to the Black Lives Matter movement, um, there were already sort of like limited protests happening there. Um, and the men detained there, those of them who were allowed out onto the balconies created banners, I think maybe out of the bed sheets, and they had them hung over the side of the balcony saying like you know we've been in, we've been detained for seven years with no justice seven or, fucking years yeah, yeah. so some jesus of them jesus christ <laughs> some of them were sent to the That's island insane. facilities at the age of 15 and they're now 22 you know like their yeah their whole lives are passing them by um yeah so that is disgusting that i actually oh, had no idea about that yeah it's absolutely horrendous bro like it's, it's yeah. just i don't know what else to say about it it's it is yeah. repulsive behavior to do that to a human being. Um, but, you know, the majority of Australia doesn't give a fuck because they're brainwashed into thinking that they're being conned by these refugees. Um, <laughs> and so yeah. the Black Lives Matter movement, I think, r really, like, you know, drove the importance of this issue. And so uh, more rallies have been happening uh, in Brisbane about Black Lives Matter uh, more generally, but also yep. specifically about this issue. So on Saturday, um, I went down there. Um, I'm sorry, I should also mention that on Friday night, they attempted to start moving the men to a more private and more secure facility in an area yeah. of Brisbane that's less publicly visible, um, in like this industrial area that only gets uh, traffic from people working in there. Uh, which yeah. is kind of like out near the airport. Um, so That's real fucking dodgy, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So by moving them, they want to put them out of sight and out of mind um, and try and kind of like uh, quash the issue in term, from mm. the public perspective. So on Friday, protesters um, stopped one of those vans um, yep. in a nonviolent protest. And um, on Saturday, there was a larger rally to... Um, occupy the site and stop any further transfers. Um, so I went along and it was a really interesting moment because the rally um, had um, legally filed its intent to occupy the street um, from 2 p.m. until 5 p.m. Um, there was a pretty high police presence there and the rally was peaceful and nonviolent um, up to a point. Yeah. And what, what was the point? Well, uh, one of the men on the balcony uh, was able to uh, speak to the crowd by calling on his phone, which was hooked up to a PA system out on the street. Yeah. Um, and when he was separated from his wife, she was pregnant uh, three years ago. 
So he has a son who's three years old who he's never met or touched or been able to hold or hug. Yeah. Um, and this man's wife and son were on the other side of the wall surrounding this hotel out on the footpath. Yeah. And this guy was on the phone and he said, I can see my son from here. I can see the shape of him, but I can't see his face and I can't hold him. Yeah. And all I want is to be able to hug my son one time. Um, like, and obviously that was like an insanely emotional moment. So mm. the crowd got so worked up um, and someone got on the microphone and said, there's a gap in the gate. Let's go and apply pressure and see if this man can be let downstairs to hug his son through the gate. Um, and the crowd essentially stormed the gate um, of this property um, and were on the verge of tearing the fence down when the police stepped in um, and... Yep. The police at that point, I thought, were actually pretty reasonable about the whole thing. I didn't, I personally didn't see any um, violence from part of the police, apart from what was necessary to get people away from the fence. Um, but then that triggered a um, sort of negotiation process, where the police on site um, got in touch with federal authorities to see if mm. they could let this man come out and hug his son. Yeah, um, and I would have thought. That was a pretty small ask. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. You, you can see how this story ends, and it wasn't allowed. Um, yeah. And further, the police said that the protest had to disband by 4 p.m., um, despite the intent to occupy the street until 5, which caused tension. Um, protesters opted to sit in and occupy the street, um, after which, uh, I'm going to say maybe 60 to 70 police arrived. Um, wow. And obviously wanted to clear the place. Um, and protesters then negotiated to instead occupy a side street um, yeah. and stay through the night, uh, after which they were still, um, yeah, forcibly removed. Um, so later that night, uh, one of the organisers of that protest is a city councillor in Brisbane who I've actually done some intern work with his name's Jonathan Shree and he's the only Greens representative in the Brisbane City Council. Um, and he was driving home uh, after having taken part in the protest and was pulled over and arrested and taken away. The city councillor? Yeah. Um, what? Yeah, for organising a peaceful protest. And uh, he was actually the one as well who de-escalated the crowd when they were all trying to pull the fence down. Yeah. Um, so... There was another attempt to block the van that he had been put in to prevent him from being arrested, uh, and yeah. that was when the police cleared the crowd away. So anyway, um, I like signed up to um, do like a short shift in what is now the occupying. Oh, sorry, the rolling occupation of that site. So um, I've decided from like four a.m. until eight a.m. every Monday morning, I'm going to go in and just do a little stint because they want to have at least twenty people. Uh, on site at all times to block any potential transfer of detainees to these yeah. more secure facilities. Um, and there are also um, more demands being made saying that the men should be let out into the community to exercise um, that they, and that they should be um, freed from detention by Christmas, mm. which I think is a pretty fair ask. Um, so yeah, I went down there this morning, you know, obviously got up at, 3.30 in the dead of night, went down and sort of uh, sat in with these other people who were 
participating in the occupation. It was quite interesting. Um, there's a lot of uh, a lot of sort of hatred uh, from the wider Australian population against people who are um, carrying out this activism, which I find really yeah quite stunning. Um, so, what what sort of things are they doing? Oh, just um, like the sort of speaking on social media and in person uh, against it, saying, you know, these people should be run over. Um, like, I had an old man come up to me this morning and just say shame and walk away. Um, <laughs> Fuck <off> old man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, sure. You know, people, people are pulling out all the usual cards, just like, oh, yeah. these fucking doll bludging dickheads should go and get a job or whatever. And, you know, most of these people have jobs, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's not yeah. like these people were just, I don't know. Um, it's, uh, I made a couple of attempts to speak to the guards over the wall as well and the police officers who are coming by every 30 minutes or so to just, like, monitor the site. Um, mm. But the guards don't want to talk. Um, and I probably wouldn't either if I was doing a job that, you know, made me um, question my own morals every day. Um, yeah. I'm sure that they are not bad guys they're just doing it for the money you know and they feel a bit stuck I would imagine um, yeah there's a lot of a lot of stakeholders involved and it's like quite a tense situation you can f- really feel the weight of the situation when you're there um, yeah so well it's it's amazing that that atrocity is just pushed so far under because I mean I wasn't aware of it I, I, it's one of those things where you're like oh yeah I heard they're getting like a like a bad deal but yeah, like that's seven years of unjust detention, man. It's horrible. Like, where, mm-hmm. where's the freedom? Yeah, exactly, man. Um, you know, and you know, like the the hypocrisy of the people who oppose freedom for those detainees astounds me because, like, some of these people have literally been victims of violence from the state, and like, imagine if you or I were sitting in our homes. And the police kicked in our doors and attempted to arrest or harm us for having a view on what the government is doing or anything in that regard. Or, you know, even to a larger extent, if you, if you decided to uh, take your family to flee a civil war, like what has, ha- has been happening in Syria, like any, any person would do that, you know? Yeah. Um, and the irony of it is that Australia has so many people who are the descendants of immigrants who came from Europe after the Second World War, Yeah, who were refugees. Um, so, you know, it all comes down to the colour of people's skin, man. Um, and it's really sad that there's a predominant popular narrative that these people don't deserve their freedom in Australia. And I think, yeah, it's time to just call out the population as a whole and just say, get your shit together. Um, no, fair enough. Yeah. yeah, it's. Um, I think I'll end it there. No, that's 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 powerful. To be honest, that's that's um, it is disgusting. Eh? Like you know, it, <laughs> just the fact that you can deprive someone from seeing their child as well for that many years. I feel like the problem is like with those heavily politicized issues. The fact that people are calling you out is like dull bludger or whatever. You know, or th- this should never be an issue of left versus right. This is just an issue of like basic human decency. <laughs> yeah, you know I mean? you're uh, you're preaching to the converted there, man. I yeah. I absolutely agree with you. It's it's out. It's it is unbelievable, man. Um, 
I um yeah, it it was really fucking upsetting. There like I said, there are some of those men who aren't even allowed outside their rooms onto the balcony. But if you mm. walk a, around the side of the facility, you can make eye contact with them through the window. And some of those guys have been in there for I think over 6 months. They haven't yeah. left the fucking room. And That's like horrible, yeah. to look another human being in the eye and not be able to do anything further to help them. I mean, I mean, you know, there probably are more things that yeah. I individually could do, but I'm going to start trying, you know. To, or to think that I'm relatively powerless in the whole thing is, yeah, it's unreal. Mm. Yeah, it just it surprises me as well that Murdoch media is so opposed to, um, to it because you think, like, as in, I always believe that, I don't always believe, I sometimes believe that people are largely in pursuit of their economic interests to some degree, you know, and their actions are somewhat of a reflection of that. Yeah, I think but largely they are. You would think that this would be relatively good for everyone, you know? like the. <laughs> well, it would be. Yeah, I that's mean, the funny thing. Yeah, historically neoliberalism has always cited on, on heavy globalization and the introduction of, like, more labor to bring down prices and stuff. And, and like, there's so many examples of that, so... Mm-hmm. I, I'm surprised that there's not more of a push, especially from someone like Murdoch Media, who would be a direct beneficiary from an introduction of more, you know, asylum seekers and stuff. Be, because ultimately, like, Murdoch Media campaigns pretty heavily against, like, totalitarian governments. Um, and mm. I haven't read a shitload of Fox News lately, but I know that being anti-China and anti-Middle East is um, part of the you know, direct narrative. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think maybe they are, they are less anti-totalitarianism as they are pro-white nationalism, if that makes sense. Yeah. They are only anti-communist China or anti-Bashar al-Assad because that is the antithesis of white Australia. You know what mm. I mean? <laughs> um, yeah. And they can... As long as they're criticizing something that isn't Australia, then they'll do it. Um, yep. But these refugees threaten their uh, conception of white Australia um, and threaten their white nationalist narratives. Um, yep. Or that's my um, perspective on it, at least. And, I mean, at this point, I think it's, uh, it's unrealistic to expect uh, the Murdoch empire to pursue rationalism. Because, like, what is he? And he's an eighty-year-old bigoted cunt, right? Yeah, he's just yeah, an yeah. evil piece of shit. Um, so, I think yeah. any attempt to understand their motivations is, to an extent, maybe um, in vain. I don't know. Mm. I hope I'm wrong. I really hope I'm wrong, but I don't. I don't I... think they have as much power though, because those, like, the share price of um, Murdoch's empire. I don't know the prices but but basically every single major media empire has been vastly declining you know over the last like five to eight years it's been a steady decline in in their assets and i don't think there's any hope of them actually regaining that um you know it's just the media landscape's changed entirely so yeah i i agree with you and i i i think that's positive but i the transition can't come quickly enough literally you know, yeah. Um, at the end of the day, the major Australian newspapers still set the agenda for the news of the week. Um, 
and alternative outlets have to respond to that agenda. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, again, dude, fucking manufacturing consent, you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, as long as yeah. you can frame the media narrative, you don't need to control it. So, um, yeah, what have you got to talk about, dude? Oh, fuck. All right. So I've been really interested in Chaz, like that Seattle autonomous zone. Um, have you heard okay. of um, I've only heard of the uh, Washington, D.C. autonomous zone, I think. Was there a Washington, um, D.C. one? Oh, actually, maybe I've just gotten confused because I heard that it was in Washington, but I thought it was Washington, D.C., not Washington State. Uh, yeah. So maybe there's one in either, but I also might be wrong. So, um, yeah, okay. why don't you just tell us about Chaz? All right, so I'll try and bring up, like, a definition of Chaz or uh, like a like a brief primer on what's going on in Chaz anyway, just so people have like a reference point. So basically the people were protesting within Seattle, right? And then the police vacated this eight block area or so. Um of I think it's like downtown Seattle. It says it's like Capitol, it's called Capitol Hill's Autonomous Zone. So I yeah. don't know exactly where that is within Seattle, but there is like an eight block area. People were protesting, the police pulled back, and then all of a sudden these like um, anarchists, anarchists and heavy quotes. Oh, uh, sorry, I'm just going to quickly interrupt you. The reason yeah. that I thought this was in D.C. is because there is a Capitol Hill in both cities. <laughs> Oh, so yeah. Okay. So when yeah, I yeah. had read Capitol Hill or Time Zone, I'm like, oh, Capitol Hill, Washington DC. But um, yeah. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Keep going. Yeah. Okay. So these people have taken over chat. Uh, the well, they say taken over, but effectively, there's like a couple barricades that the police left behind that they kind of like mm. put up around this area, and then the police, um, as far as I understand it, are kind of just like letting it run. Uh, Trump's been like totally trying to capitalize on the entire thing by like being like left-wing anarchists have taken downtown seattle we need to send in the military as fast as possible to take it back you know uh but in reality it kind of sounds like a lot of people just sort of larping and sitting around singing kumbaya and doing like a bad job at urban farming yeah okay Um, (laughs) (laughs) well that that'll improve though i'm sure i I really hope that um you know, as, as people have a little bit more time, they can organize and actually run that more efficiently. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where I think it's like, it seems like something that, that could be cool that would pop up. But but anyway, I you know, I'm, I started looking into it and then I thought it'd be cool to look at more uh, autonomous collectives and um, different examples of like anarchist communities that have popped up throughout uh the world since mm. then because like, uh, christiania yeah. Did you... yeah man yeah <laughs> so well i found this journal so what i was gonna do uh i found this journal of this guy who was like involved in the occupy movements back in 2009 and before that he was running this like food not bombs thing i don't do did you ever go to a food not bombs no i'd never heard of it Oh, okay. So it's like this, it was this collective of people that, um, were effectively providing like free vegan food, uh, and just trying to feed everyone. And they're trying to make these little, uh, enclaves of like 
anarcho-syndicalists who would focus on, like, feeding people to recruit them into their little, like, squatter collective Yeah, things. right. And it popped mm-hmm. up all over the world. It was actually kind of an interesting movement because this stuff happened, like, everywhere. So the story goes that this guy was running a Food Not Bombs thing and got sort of disenfranchised with the whole thing because, you know, um, some of his friends left and went to, like, become shit posters online by the sound of it. And then others, like, decided that they wanted to make money and left. And this dude was like, no one's committed to the cause. And, you know, he's, like, very heavily wants a revolution um, within his writing. And he's talking about how revolution is going to come soon. And, and it'll be fantastic when, like, we finally show those capitalist pigs what's what. What's um, his kind of goal? Like, what does he want? Oh, fuck, I don't know. Like, what do any of these people want? It's impossible to figure it out. It's like, I don't know, man. They do, A lot of it just seems to be more like feeling disenfranchised with the system and wanting change, but not knowing what the change is that they want. So I got through about, oh, I don't know, maybe like 40 pages of his book before I just had to put it down. And then I decided I wanted to look at like, you know, a narco communities as a general so i looked into kualoon after that and i was just gonna like talk about both of those and riff on that shit yeah so anyway kicking off this guy goes to europe to discover more about you know the movements uh he was from virginia originally and he starts off um in christian christiania i I yeah yeah i don't know how to pronounce you're pronouncing it it correctly i think yeah and is immediately disillusioned from the get-go. So it's, like, entertaining <laughs> in that respect because he, like, goes over there and starts getting all pissy in his writing about how everyone's, like, just smoking weed and sitting around dancing. And um, Of course they are. What did you expect? Yeah, I know. And he's like, I cannot believe that people are not more focused on the revolution and overtaking more of the Denmark capital uh, than... And instead, they're just sitting around dancing and smoking weed. And it was really interesting because he starts going on about, like, a micro-revolt within Christian and Christ... fucking whatever. Um, that people are angry at people within the community who own more than them. And that there's this already a battle within the community because some people want, like, to operate on a medium of exchange with or without currency. So, like, you do something for me, I do something for you which apparently goes against, like, the standard anarcho-syndicalist uh, manifesto, which this guy sounds like he's decided what that is, which is no exchange <laughs> whatsoever, everything's free, um, ownership and private property of any kind is, like, bad. No, um, what so, a joke. Yeah. I know, man. It's just, it's such a classic piece of literature because it totally discredits the whole thing. And describe something that I ultimately want to state that I think is quite cool. Like, I like the idea of little collectives of political ideology. Mm. Um, You know, and I think it's important to have uh, different political ideological groups operating, um, you know, in unison all over the show. Because ultimately, they're all experiments. Some of them will work, some of them won't. And it's fascinating. Just to have sort of communities... Mm define their own destinies to an extent yeah you know like yeah. um oh, anyway sorry <laughs> yeah keep going no that's all right yeah so it's, it's like a cultural thing man it's like all of this stuff is fantastic beautiful culture but anyway he's like 
incredibly disenfranchised from the get-go because Christiania um, is, you know, not in line with his idea of uh, abolishment of private everything, you know. So he basically sets out on a bicycle because, of course, As he does. He would. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's um, trying so hard to make us hate him. Oh, dude, it's just, this is why I had to put it down. It's like the whole thing just gets so obscenely obnoxious that it's just like, I just can't even, um, couldn't even continue after him complaining, basically. It's, it's like a, a, a wanky anarchist complains through Europe is basically a summary of the novel. So he sets off, like, from Denmark to bike to Hamburg in Germany. Um and rocks up uh, all the while sort of like writing his thoughts while he's on this bike trip about how he, um, you know, admires guerrilla attacks uh, from anarchist groups in like the 70s and 80s and 90s, I think, um, on like nuclear power plants and genetic engineering and how good it was that they like attacked landlords. And what I didn't realize, man, that these groups are fucking gnarly, like, they killed people and shit. And there's people who have been like locked away for a long time, um, who had like waged serious warfare on, uh, on in these, Europe like, mainly. Yeah. Yeah. All yeah, across right. Europe and shit. Like I hadn't realized how gnarly some of these anarchist communities were that they had literally done bombings and shit. Um, and everything. So anyway, he is basically sleeping in bus shelters and stealing shit like, the whole way from Denmark to Hamburg, um, and arrives in Hamburg after biking, like, 840 kilometers, um, which, you know, I admire his dedication, is annoying. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and kind of just, like, rocks up at some squatter place. So, there's a whole network across Europe. This is another thing I found out from this that I was pretty interested in. It's a whole network across Europe of squatter, um, houses, where anyone can just kind of, like, walk in and just sleep you know and just sort of like chill out and then fuck off again um and it's like an ongoing thing it's pretty well known across spain i believe that you can just go to like one of these squat houses and stay and just chill out and you know eat vegan food and riff on capitalist pigs with other anarchists yeah Uh, which frankly i would be pretty keen to do when i'm in europe uh if (laughs) if i get to go to europe you know, because that sounds hilarious for an uh, evening. Mm. Um, so for an evening. Chill- yeah, for an evening. I, would, yeah. I wouldn't, didn't have, you know, <laughs> I, I can't do this shit any longer than that. But one evening of, you know, this sort of stuff is generally entertaining. Um, so he steals a bunch of shit. He gets annoyed that no one asks him about his politics in this fucking, like, <laughs> Hamburg. What a He's like... Yeah, I know. He's like, I can't believe that no one is interested in politics. And it seems that there's a clear lack of uh, political unison amongst these groups. People would rather just eat food, eat their vegan food and drink as opposed to talk about uh, the revolution. And it's like, oh, dude, just fuck you. Uh, get out of here. Isn't that the fucking point of anarchism? You know, I... like you just do your thing kind of. Yeah, man. Yeah, <laughs> like, you think so, eh? Yeah, if you're an anarchist, yeah. you don't need to fucking care about that shit. Yeah, I mean, that's... You, so you it's can heavily, if you want to, but you don't yeah. need to, you know? It's heavily rooted in the punk scene. And I've been, like, I'm a massive fan of punk, uh, you know, and I've been so for ages. And the whole thing that attracted me to the movement of punk is the fact that it's 
it's just like yeah you can do whatever you want no one can tell you what to do um and it's like heavily nihilistic in the sense that you know every political movement is corrupt from the get-go and will always be corrupted therefore seek you know chaos and and like the within the chaos there's these great groups that form and everything but Mm. trying to make it an organized thing where it's like you know aligning politically on anything is like immediately missing the point Um, that's interesting because it's i was reading those articles you sent me about hayek yeah um frederick hayek that's his name right and like that's almost similar to what he was talking about with economics yeah 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 no and hayek is like brutally misunderstood i feel uh and and it's also like hayek's pretty fucking annoying to read man because if you if you read any hayek he virtually goes on about socialism and how shit socialism is all the time which is a shame because his theories are brilliant and he's he's actually got a lot of really good ideas but it's i found a lot of it's lost in like just complaining you know so which which sucks but whatever but yeah no hayek is pretty dope that way as well um anyway so so he continues biking he goes to like groningen um, and I don't have a frame of reference for where any of these places are, but I'm aware that it's like a significant distance to bike, um, regardless. So kudos to the dude for biking so far. Um, and he appears to just sort of like be wandering into a city and just kind of like finding a squat house, um, by like walking into punk bars and just chatting to people, which is, you know, I guess that's kind of cool that that's something you can do. Yeah. 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 Cool. So he starts bonding with this guy while he's dumpster diving um and they hit it off really well and he ends up spending a month there with the locals and setting up so this is how they uh he the whole like i don't know it seems a little shifty the way that they operate because he basically goes into these places and the anarchist community there was sort of failing and people were becoming less interested in it um so they start setting up these recruitment drives where they go to a university and then um kind of like trash the system and tell everyone in the university how they're being exploited uh to like drive recruitment which is so fucking cult-like man and you can see it like yeah you can totally get how they would indoctrinate some poor um you know like naive individual into believing that they're heavily oppressed um while they're studying at a university in europe (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> and like yeah get them to join their shitty little smelly anarchist collective and like Man. he makes numerous references to the fact that he doesn't shower so i'm happy to stand by the fact that he smells you know I, oh like, god imagine being yeah. some like 19 year old uni student in between classes and some like smelly middle-aged dickhead in like a, <laughs> a punk outfit is just like yeah man come and live with me like yeah fuck off oh get out of my just, life yeah, man, it seems so dodgy, eh? I'm so happy these people are so poorly organized because, like, I would wish that they have their own, like, anarchist syndicate, uh, like, you know, flaky anarchist state, and I would like to go and visit, but you just know it would be a shit show. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's like the anarchist version of North Korea, probably, you know? <laughs> <It's> <laughs> yeah, like a yeah. bunch of fucking losers trying to run, yeah. like, this crappy failed state. Yeah, man. And just, like, yeah. real angry about it, just <laughs> blaming everyone else. It's like, nah, man, like, you're the reason your population's yeah. starving. Well, it, even though it's such a shitty little movement, you can already see the foundations of totalitarianism within it. 
Oh, yeah. You already see, like, the fact that this guy strongly, like, all throughout his book, he's basically writing about how he wants the revolution to come and how it's bullshit that it hasn't happened yet and how he can't wait to see, like, you know, capitalist pigs sort of, you know, be, uh, fall and and everything like that. And it's just like, dude, you are a dictator. Like, you Mm. fucking are. And you're not open to other ideologies, which is the whole point. Um, anyway, so he's, he ends up meeting up with his dad and he makes like, tries to play it down, but he very clearly is from like a super well-off family. Um, so bravo on fulfilling the stereotype of being a like lucky <laughs> ideologue who swans around the world on, um, on your parents' money. Uh, and he, for whatever reason, writes about how him and his dad don't get along. I can only feel for his dad, who ends up having to meet his kid and go on, like, a nice father-son bike ride with him, but ends up, like, probably getting ideological bullshit spewed at him the whole time, and his dad gets pissed off and ends up biking in another place, and this fuckwit decides to bike to Austria. Um, and for whatever reason, makes reference to, that, like, he was biking there so fast because he was so angry that he was like pissing had to piss like while he's biking and accidentally like pissed all over these graveyards like all over the side of the road there's nothing worse than people who like clearly don't have any like outstanding physical prowess but like sometimes describe how like intensely they do something yeah just like (laughs) nah man like your anger wasn't making you cycle very quickly like it was probably quickly by your standard but like don't act yeah. like you're fucking Lance Armstrong, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's so obnoxious. Eh? Um. Anyway, so he ends up in what? What is like another thing I was found interesting from this is that the Antifa movement is actually really widespread. I didn't realize it had such old roots, but I mean, its roots would probably make sense in Europe. Hmm. Um. So he starts meeting up with Antifa uh, in Europe back in like 2007, I think, when this was written. Um, or something like that and starts complaining though that like race isn't a narrative within europe within like these within the antifa movements and within the anarchist movements and he says he goes to all these bookshops and everything and uh you know goes to these anarchist meetings within austria and like and his broader travels within europe and no one is really discussing uh race as a construct within Europe, which I personally thought was fucking cool um, because it shows an evolution beyond like race-based discussion, which is clearly not going so well mm. um, in the US, you know, and an acknowledgement that there's more of like a equal footing amongst anarchists and everything. But anyway, it pisses him off because he's like, how can we really understand the plight of these, you know, of race within Europe if there's no literature on it and if no one's discussing it? What about... Yeah, and then... Pretty sure there was literature on it, and it was called Mein Kampf. So that's Yeah, man, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, they actually, like, probably have, you know, been through so much race-based shit that I'd imagine the narrative is, I don't know, a little worn out now. And probably not something that is hugely beneficial to be discussed all the time. Anyway, so he... He gets pissy about that, and then he starts writing about how, like, and this is started. This is where it really started to lose me because he starts writing like 
And what about the racial trans identities and blah, blah, blah. And I thought, oh, bro, you were on this shit back in 2007, man. Like, that's fucking gnarly. Um, so the last that I ended up reading, he ends up in the Ukraine uh, and starts, like, having to hide because there's fascists everywhere, but complaining about, like, you know, the fact that there's still no race-based discussion really other than uh white supremacist fascist movements who are kind of like the same character only like racist and an equal piece of shit it's like when you see you know the far left and the far right meet and they kind of look the same and they just end up <laughs> shouting at each other i just want to put these motherfuckers on a little island like they're all incels they just don't yeah know, man you know? like yeah, they are they looking are. in the mirror yeah um They've just, like, arrived at the same space through a different path. Oh, it's so true. Um, yeah, it's just... Anyway, at what that point... What was this point... guy's name again? Hey? What was this oh, guy's like... name again? Peter Goodling or something? Um, I should put are it up some... in the show notes. Are there some people that, like, really um, kind of, like, admire this guy, or...? I don't even know, man. It I might hope just not. be some loser's, like, account of Europe. I found it when I was, like, searching through uh something i can't i was i was looking up chaz and i was trying to find like anarchist movements oh, and learn more about it um i think i found it from a wikipedia reference mm. if i remember correctly but uh yeah i'll find the original show notes because it was like reasonably long and it was in the anarchist library but mm. i couldn't really find anything beyond that so it definitely isn't like a widely read piece of literature <laughs> yeah. um, but it gives me enough of a sense of the movement anyway that i can sort of apply that to the Capitol Hill autonomous zone and understand like the good intentions of it and hope that it's something that's like a more of a Christiana Christiana, you know, uh, more of like that kind of movement as opposed to some like political ideologues who are trying to revolutionize, you know, uh, you know, perform a revolution within Seattle, which is like Mm. less cool. Or maybe to be I kind of, I kind of feel like, in this context though, it is important that a place like Chaz, the autonomous zone, is politicized. I feel as though like there needs to be an organized opposition to the sort of state system in the United States at the moment that grows out of this movement. Yeah. Um, I feel like it needs to be capitalized upon because now is the best opportunity that we're ever going to have to see some sort of strong significant opposition that can at least maybe threaten to dislodge the system that we've got now totally. and i think stuff like the autonomous zone is like really important even though it seems small yeah i think what it signifies is cool so i kind of hope that it's not just people smoking weed and dancing <laughs> Yeah, I mean, with anything, like, you know, it would be better... Personally, I don't know if this is the right time to see, like, an anarchist movement within Seattle, but rather setting up something that's more politically aligned with the times. Mm, you know what I mean? Well, uh, like, I think, um, you know, like, elements of anarchism can mesh really well with, like, a democratic society, right? Like, yeah. if you um, borrow ideas like um sort of direct community centric democracy um i think you can implement that well into like a capitalist system Mm. um 
and I know that that's not quite anarchist, but I think it's it's as close to anarchism as we probably want to get. You know what I mean? To have yeah. like um just decentralization and I think decision making carried out on like more of a micro scale. Yeah. Well, this next example. So after this, after burning out on anarcho syndicalist communities, mm. um, I really wanted to try and find an ANCAP uh, community to like contrast this with. You know what I mean? Um, What's so ANCAP? Like, a, like an anarcho capitalist. Oh, right. Of course. Yeah. yeah. So basically, like two systems uh, without government, without institutional oversight, with completely different approaches to how they sort of operate and everything. Mm. Um, and the, I feel like there's not many true ANCAP, like you could be like, Oh, well, the wild West, uh, or you <laughs> know, medieval Iceland or something, but there was a really interesting example from Hong Kong in like recent history within the last like 50 years called Kowloon walled city. Oh, I know about this fucking place, dude. Yeah. But yeah, continue. <laughs> how loose is this? I love it. It's yeah, it's fucking cool, the man. The photographs sort of from this place are horrifying, right? Yeah. Oh, like it, it looks it, like no human could ever like live a happy life in this place. Yeah, no, nah, it it definitely looks like that. But it's also <laughs> something that it, it's astounding, man, because of how well it functioned. Like it just arose. So my understanding is the origins of it is um, post uh, Mao China. You had a lot of people fleeing the Communist Party. Um, going to Hong Kong, um, which was seen as like the haven because it was, you know, under British rule and it was meant to be more of like a free area and just inhabiting this, if I remember correctly, a military zone, I could be wrong on that, but like basically inhabiting this little area on the edge of Hong Kong um, that was just totally not, uh, you know, like the government just basically like left it alone for something like 40, 30, 40, 50 years, something like that. And it, grew into like a sizable city man like fifty thousand people and just completely grew up out of like this tiny little area in the desert man i'm i'm looking at the photos of it again now um and it's it looks like dystopia dude it looks horrific oh true yeah it definitely is like (laughs) a gnarly place to live but in the same Uh. the same way man it functioned extremely well um, so there was like gangs all throughout it that basically operated as some sort of, not an oversight, but, you know, clearly ran organized crime within the area, but small mm. businesses flourished and they ended up like supplying, you know, Hong Kong with like a reasonable amount of noodles and, and everything else because people that weren't able to like fight the bureaucracy to open a business in Hong Kong were able to just like go to Kowloon walled city and, and run their own little business, you know, yeah, without right. anyone telling them what to do. Um, so I watched like a two documentary, like the wall street journal put up one out. And then this, this earlier one that was produced in the 1980s of this, like uh smarmy holier than thou Austrian group who went in there and just kind of like looked down their nose at like everyone. <laughs> Like, this is a peasant operating in a small room without any government oversight. You can tell the safety standards by looking at his hands, <laughs> look at the cuts, and it's like, and the vermin that inhabit the place as well, very disgusting. And it's just like, real jerk-offs, you know, with no appreciation for how amazing this entire place is. Uh, yeah, but there yeah. is like tons of vermin everywhere. So they go around, they start looking at like noodle shops and... 
and like doll manufacturing things and like all these random little businesses like it wasn't just like a like a sea of opium and brothels which you'd kind of imagine ancap uh societies to be like you know or some sort of horrible functioning it was actually like legit businesses and a lot of people who just lived there because they had nowhere else to live um and couldn't afford to live anywhere else you know and this was like cheap as shit um as cheap as you can get you know and there's no taxes to pay there's no one no oversight you can kind of live wherever you can put a little shack up you know um so there's even like a little kindergarten in there run by the sallies apparently and Mm. the only things that people have to pay is like a small token to the triads to keep the peace um within the community so i guess like that was the functioning police body um was ultimately kind of like a quasi privatized police force that were the triads um so already you have kind of like the functionings of a society that have grown from the bottom up so there's drugs everywhere as one would expect but there's also like this fanatical christian who operates a like drug uh rehabilitation center within there um and it's a, she's this like mental american woman you know and like when the austrian crew find her and they're like oh jackie has lived here for 20 years and uses the power of her pseudo religion to try and pretend that she heals people but you know it's amazing that some weird american can live there for 20 years as well you know like 20 fucking years man. and, not even and that somebody can be fucked to do that <laughs> I know. like that like, must be like a really hard thing to do to try and just like yeah rehabilitate all of the junkies living in an anarchic society but, um, <laughs> yeah i wanted to call shit at least but yeah. when she said that she'd lived there for 20 years, I thought there's nothing that I can really say. Like, I, I wouldn't want to detract from what's an amazing story. Like, staying there for 20 years to um, cure heroin addicts within, like, you know, ANCAP society. Like, that's fucking impressive, regardless of how flaky she seems. Um, so, yeah. So, anyway, it's like the city's so walled and so... Uh, overtaken by people just building shit that it's black like totally pitch black from within the inside of the the labyrinth and you know if you you looking at pictures you can see it's just like it looks like fucking lego like it's just like wall to wall yeah it it looks literally unreal like it doesn't look like something that exists but it does yeah so the astounding thing is basically everyone can find a place to live um and it's this pure ecosystem of like free reign capitalism where everyone's making a living off you know the like anything they possibly can within it so there's this old woman who they're filming who's just going around like collecting scrap metal that people sort of leave behind and it it just i don't know man the whole thing reminds me of like a like a pure ecosystem it's like dung beetles cleaning away you know manure and and like Mm, i I feel like it's kind of like an insensitive analogy to make but but ultimately, no. that's what it reminds me of, right? Like, it's just, there's people who make money from cleaning the streets, uh, and that's, like, the byproduct of, like, the production of these other little businesses all over the show. Yeah, I understand what you're getting at. It's like a, um, just a sort of full kind of ecology that developed, in a sense. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So, there, a lot of the people there... Um, you know, obviously we're driven as refugees and because there's no oversight, they can do 
like other shit like gambling, which was illegal in Hong Kong. It might still be illegal. I'm not sure. Um, but there's gambling all throughout it. And one of the wealthier residents runs like a, like a pigeon racing, uh, gambling circuit where he just like grows pigeons and like races them for money (laughs) (laughs) and makes like a fucking killing doing that apparently. Um, you know, and then one of the old triads when he's talking about it says there's basically like, you know, aside from the opium and brothels, which is all throughout the entire place, uh, unlicensed dentists is also like one of the fucking biggest money makers within there. Because oh, you know, savage. I know, right? So there's like all these pictures of people with like, you know, gnarly teeth on display and everything of all these like crazy unlicensed dentists that are uh pushing their work forward just to... like yeah just have, having a crack like doing their best effort every time and <laughs> yeah. slowly improving on the last tragedy that they concocted. yeah 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 totally totally um so anyway it's there's not much of a story here to tell other than like the fact that this amazing ecosystem ran for you know 30 years until uh some old British loser who was, I think, the acting governor at the time, like, ended up deciding to knock it down, um, which is too bad. Imagine having you know. to actually govern that place, though. Like, what a hard job. It's like, why am I trying? This is... Fun. Yeah. Yeah, I know, man. It sucks. Like, well, I, why even govern it? Like, why not just keep it as a, as a pure, amazing spectacle of, like... <laughs> of bizarre humanity yeah imagine like being that bureaucrat that's in charge of it and then just going to your boss or you know whoever's above you in the chain of command and just go i think my job is pointless yeah (laughs) actually why am i doing this yeah can i just do nothing and let this happen yeah Um, yeah yeah the thing I love about this whole thing is it kind of shows, um, and this may be my own personal like bias because I would love to visit an ANCAP society, and it just it seems so much more inclusive. Like there's no politics, there's nothing other than like everyone trying to make a living, um, and it's like the ultimate inclusive society. Is is a lot of like what like one of the positive things that the documentary says is like everyone's welcome here. You know, no matter who you are, guilty, not guilty, you know, profiteer or an honest business worker, like everyone has their reasons. No one asks why you just live in the walled city um, and and function. What, so yeah. at the end Such of this, oh. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, my, my question at the end of this is sort of like you have two examples of like, you know, quasi functioning anarchist collectives and. I wonder if there really could be sort of like an abolishment of government entirely for like micro states, you know, that could have these like little, little functioning political systems or not political systems. Yeah. yeah. I think, unfortunately, you do need, well, hmm. I was just about to say someone needs to have the monopoly on the use of legitimate violence, right? So in the case of Kowloon, the triads did. Yeah. So like, yeah, I think it's possible to have those kind of systems, but at the end of the day, you still do need an oppressor of sorts. Mm. You know, one group or 
individual who can exercise violence to uh, maintain order if if that's what's necessary. Um, but yeah, it's. I think that um, if we can get out from under the sort of boot of a of a democratic yeah. capitalism, then that's what the future would look like, or something closer to that at least. Um, mm. But yeah, it's a, it's an interesting question. Yeah, I always feel like the state is more and more bloated. I'm not like a gnarly libertarian. Again, I. I've taken the scale pill. Um, you know, I <laughs> I think smaller communities will function ultimately better with or without government institutions. You know? Yeah, I think so too. And more variety is better, frankly, because like the homogeny right now, you know, of uh, democratic socialist, socialist states or democratic capitalist states or whatever the fuck, it's frankly tiresome and we don't need another like pop-out Western city you know what I mean? Like, once you've traveled to, like, Toronto and Sydney and Auckland and, and any in Vancouver or whatever, it's like, they're all the fucking same, man. There's no difference in culture. It's disgusting. Yeah, yeah, you're you right. Know? I mean, like, even a bit like Singapore, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, do we really want the same dry thing? One can only dream. But Yeah. Um, shall we get into some quick hits? Yeah, buddy. All right. Um, what have you been watching? Um, goddamn. I saw The Purple Rose of Cairo, and it was so brilliant. It's like Woody well, Allen. I've Allen's, never heard of that. Right. Uh, Woody Allen romance movie. Huh. Um, I don't know why I was feeling particularly in the mood for Woody Allen brand of neurotic romance, but I was. And... It's really good. It's a, it's like it's about a guy. Oh, sorry, it's about a woman that uh, is getting abused by her husband, and then she's obsessed with this movie. And the protagonist walks off the screen and like falls in love with her at first sight. And then the whole thing is kind of like a the characters who are still in the movie um, start like infighting with each other, you know, and getting annoyed that the that a minor bit character sort of walked off the screen to go be with this woman. Yeah, It's right. good. Yeah, it's... It sounds like, it's, interesting. If you're into Woody Allen, then it's enjoyable, you know? Yeah, cool. But it's, like, neurotic and shit. Yeah. What about you? Well, I can't think of what I've watched recently, but for whatever reason, your description of that movie made me think of Horse Girl. Have you seen that? <laughs> no. It's um I'm looking it up right now though. A pretty fucking traumatic watch, dude. Um oh. it's about this kind of lonely and I guess socially awkward woman, young woman, who um who sort of navigates the world as if there's just something missing from her life and maybe she can't put her finger on it, or there's just something off about her, or there's something off about the way things are. Um and she she has the best intentions and Things just don't go her, her way for whatever reason. And it tracks her slow descent into full-blown insanity. Oh, um, fuck yeah. And it's apparently supposed to be like a visceral depiction of schizophrenia firsthand. Um, so like you experience her reality start to 
shift and move mm. as her schizophrenia sets in. Um, and you see the way that people can fall through the cracks and the system might not be yeah. there. Um, and yeah, yeah it, it's really pretty hard to watch. Like, I found it really upsetting, but it's fucking powerful and I would definitely recommend it. I've seen that firsthand and it's pretty disturbing um, seeing people fall into brutal mental illness. Uh, you know, there's like a close, not family member, but, you know, extended member of the family that's fallen into schizophrenia and it's like a brutal decline, man. And they lost like everyone close to them. They're no fault of their own, probably. Um, yeah, yeah. Mental illness, you know. Yeah, this can't and, be managed sometimes, hey? Yeah, no, well, and there's just, like, nothing you can do. You know, it's just, it's horrible. It's such a horrifying illness. Yeah, it is. It's really rough. I, like, have family members who have suffered from it as well, and, yeah, it's, um, I wouldn't wish it upon anybody, really. No. Um, what have you been reading? Uh, Candide. By Voltaire, um, okay. which is a, a story of this relentless optimist who gets every possible thing happen to him, like bad, like every horrible thing that could happen to you in in life. And he's so naive, and and the whole thing is this guy is this like you know, oh, but we live in the best of all possible worlds, and. And everything that happens happens for a reason, and it's always for the best. And you've undoubtedly heard that sentiment, probably from those fucking backpackers, you know, <laughs> those assholes who come from like perfect families. And it's always like, you know, life is always perfect. And this guy is like basically like loses um, uh, one of his closest friends who gets hanged and then has to like, you know, kill people because they're coming after him. And uh his mistress or his lover or whatever he gets like sold to wealthy kings and then raped and then sold and then because it's this book is written in the 1700s the only thing that matters is her looks uh which go away and that's like the worst of all you know <laughs> aside from the fact that she was raped because that happens all the time apparently um she also is ugly now ah <laughs> <laughs> yeah how could um, she have any worth now that she's not beautiful <laughs> yeah yeah how horrible um you know and it's like basically a test of optimism for this for this uh poor protagonist it was really good though it's fucking fantastic because it you know, just like back then uh people were challenging the narrative that you know, everything happens for a reason, which is refreshing. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. Um, what was what's next? We did grifters. That was backpackers. Um, oh right. Um, I am reading Hayek. The oh, articles yeah. you linked me. So yeah. Um, for those who don't know, uh, Damon is a uh, giving me economics homework <laughs> because yeah. I wanted to uh, sort of put myself through like an economics 101. So I've been reading uh, kind of overviews of the work of uh, 
Friedrich Hayek, who's an Austrian economist and probably one of the most prominent economic thinkers of the 20th century. Um, nice. Who, from what I gather, kind of argues his main point as being that um, the free market is necessary because it produces order out of chaos. Um, mm. And because things like uh, human free will when exercising agency in buying and selling, for example, or developing new ideas is often unpredictable, um, more planned or centralized economies fail to order a market in the same way that randomness does. Um, Pretty much. In the yeah. same way that natural selection kind of um, brings about ecosystems to function in the same way that they do, um, mm. kind of natural behaviors should be relied upon to shape economies um, with as little intervention as possible. I'm going to be so interested when you, um, if you move to high, uh, Keynes after Oh, that. well, I 100% will. Yeah, because <laughs> um, he is, you know, the opposite viewpoint that markets can be steered and controlled. Mm. Um, and that, you know, that's, that's why we have bailouts and stimulus packages and all that shit. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, and there, it's, it's, it's interesting to see them both sort of play out um, throughout the ages. Hayek's hasn't really, I feel, been well given the opportunity to to demonstrate his theories, and and it's like ultimately you're fucking with people's lives. So yeah, exactly. You got to be careful like, with this shit, right? Yeah, it's not <laughs> like you can run an experiment. Um, yeah. his whole point is sort of like you know just let it fail, um, and if it fails, then good. It was fragile. It shouldn't have existed in the first place. Which mm. you know. I like that idea. In practice, what would that look like? What would it look like if we just let the financial system collapse back in 2008? Well, yeah. I mean... We might be better off, but we're also toying with some pretty... You know, if the retirement savings of half the country disappear overnight, what the fuck's going to happen? It's interesting that you said earlier that Hayek is, like, really opposed to socialism because his idea of letting markets fail would actually work well provided that a lot of like socialist principles like you know public welfare and safety nets were allowed to exist mm. but you know like if you can let a market fail but you know that the the instruments are in place to take care of people through that period then yeah. you know that the market can build back with minimal harm done to human lives but anyway yeah i um, think that's one of the things that um, Milton Friedman talks about that doesn't get enough airtime, in my opinion, uh, is, I don't know if Hayek was for it, but I know Friedman was, uh, which is negative income tax, which is brilliant. Problem solved, in my eyes. You know, like, fuck complex welfare states. Just negative income tax. You know, below a certain threshold, you make money. And then the, the less money you make, the more you get up to a certain point. And it's like... That's kind of like welfare solved, you know? Well, in a sense, isn't that welfare? No. If you're earning, if you're earning negative tax mm. on zero dollars? Sort of, but you have to apply for it. You have to go jump through the hoops. Um, oh, right. So this we've would, both applied so he, for the doll. So he's it's basically talking ass. about like a, yeah. a UBI with like a threshold. Basically, 
So the problem with the UBI I've always had is that it's universal, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Bill Gates doesn't need the fucking payout, um, nor does the, the, you know, top 20% of America or even the top 50%, whereas, like, a negative income tax is just perfect, whereas at the moment, man, it's like fucking the amount of money we spend on the Ministry of Social Development here, I don't, would be Centrelink over there, uh, trying to target the right people because Lord knows we don't want to get the money, you know, in the hands of the wrong people, whoever they are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> is so costly that if you abolished it and just said, fuck it, let's just do this negative income tax, um, it would surely pay for itself you know if we're spending billions of dollars trying to make sure that we're like correctly allocating money that billion dollars could be spent allocating money Mm. you know yeah anyway um yeah hayek uh a lot of these guys are expressly opposed to socialism in its traditional sense yeah i get that the the nationalist socialist party you have to remember they all grew up in the time of like world war ii oh yeah of course um and my old economics professor uh, said it best that context is the most important thing. So I feel like when people are discussing, like, well, he was anti-socialism, um, nowadays don't understand, like, socialism was a very different thing back then, you know? Yeah, and I mean, like, yeah. the way most Bernie people... Sanders. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, which is barely socialism anyway, you know? It's ah, just... he wasn't a socialist. He was a fucking democratic... You know, he's a democratic socialist, man. Socialist, it's totally different. If you could even say that, he was like, if Bernie got in, it would have been, you know, like a like a better safety net, and that's kind of like the be all end all end of discussion. Mm. I don't even think you could call that socialism. I feel like he was too inflammatory with that word, that it would have pissed off too many uh, angry gumpkins, gumpkins, angry bumpkins, whatever. Bumpkins. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know, whereas, like, his platform probably would have appealed more. But fuck, who cares? He's out of the race. Um, who do you hate? Uh, that whingy wanker on his bike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's I feel fair. like those people do a disservice to like legitimate movements, mm. um, and legitimate causes that would otherwise be really interesting to see play out. And and you know, anarcho syndicalists. I went to a anarcho syndicalist meeting when I was like sixteen or seventeen or something. Yeah, cool. Um, and it was really cool. It was really interesting, you know. And it was like it's always been a movement that I've kind of like been interested in uh but people like that reduce it to identity politics and then the exclusion starts and Mm. one of the worst things about the capitol hill autonomous zone that i haven't actually seen um legitimately reported yet other than on reddit uh, was they're trying to build a um like a council to like you know deal with with crimes or whatever and uh they're trying to do diversity on the whole council. I, d- I don't know if this is true. I found this like secondhand. I really hope that it is because it's fucking hilarious. And like, there's the, all these edits when they're trying to be like, we're going to elect uh, one black man and one white woman to be on the council. And then they're like, edit. We're going to elect uh, one black man, uh, not a white woman, but an Asian woman and a transgender black person to ensure that we have a representative council. 
edit. We're going to elect oh, one black man God. and people with a criminal background to ensure that there's a representative, you know, it's just like, fuck, bro, just, just can all that. Like, you don't need it. You're already ruining the collective and the anarchist ideals by trying to represent these stupid fucking identity politic councils. Yeah, yeah. Abolish identity politics is the only way forward, you know? Hmm. Yeah, no, that's really, we don't really interesting. I'm just trying to, like, yeah, I'm trying to think of another way to achieve what they're kind of ideally trying to do, but I can't think of something off the top of my head. Um, yeah. Well, certainly hmm. at a certain point, because you're always trying to address minorities, uh, mathematically you're just going to end up addressing every single individual. Yeah, and yeah. Your ultimate like council is going to be comprised of every single person in the community. Yeah, yeah. Representative of the ultimate minority, yourself and your own experiences. So, you know, all out that. Debunked. Debunked, right? Yeah. Checkmate. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, we're, we're at an hour 40. Cool, um, man. Let's sign out. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's wrap it up. All um, right. Thanks again for anyone who had a listen, tuned in. Um, share it with your friends if you dig it. Give us a review on the uh, Apple Podcast Store or wherever else. I don't even know if you can review podcasts on other platforms, but if you can, then that'd be cool. Um, five star, obviously. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you're going to call uh, us out, make us a subreddit and call us out on there, and then we'll, uh, we can engage in a, a lengthy debate. Yeah, yeah. Um, again, hit the PayPal if you uh, want to feed us. I just ate like one fifth of a baguette during that podcast. So I'm going to need another baguette this afternoon because um, yeah. I'm almost finished with the baguette that I have now. So that will cost me $1.50. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, if anyone in Adelaide listens, tell us how it is. Um, maybe we'll move there. All right. Um, Let's yeah sign out. Thanks cool. for listening. Thanks for talking with me, Damon. Take Cheers, care, bro. Buddy. Peace. Next week.